According to payments, paper-based invoices cost businesses up to $22 U.S. per invoice to process and rises when invoices are delivered via post or fax machines. Such practices remain some of the basic friction points in accounts receivables. Now, accounts receivables automation process is increasingly becoming inevitable as it helps organizations reduce costs, time, and increases efficiency. Poor receivables processes impact credit decisions, corporate borrowing, liquidity management, and reporting of corporate sales and commissions to sales staff. Moreover, ineffective receivables processes make it difficult to know the status of an organization's current financial position. How do you then adjust your collection strategies to adapt to the changing business environment? And with collection in place, is there a better way of allocating cash? Joining us today on Podchats for Future CFO is Mr. Ross McKay, Group Head of Global Shared Services and Finance Optimization for International SOS. He is joined by Mr. Albert Leong, Managing Director of SK Asia. Gentlemen, welcome to Podchats for Future CFO. Before we go into our actual podcast, uh, let me ask both gentlemen to do a quick introduction. Let's start off with yourself, Albert. Oh, thank you, Alan. I'm actually the uh, Managing Director of ESCA in Asia, and basically we are actually the uh, software solution provider and uh, happy to work with uh, many customers here and also with uh, Ross himself. Ross, over to you. Thanks, Alan. Um, so yeah, as you said, I have two roles at International SOS. Uh, I look after the shared services for the group and also I'm kind of leading a sort of multi-year finance transformation across systems and processes. Previously, Albert defined cash conversion cycles as a metric to express the time it takes for the company to convert their inventory into cash flow. We will look at that from the perspective of an actual organization using cash conversion cycles to see how it works for them. Let's start off with yourself, Ross. How do you define the term cash conversion cycle at International SOS? And what is the biggest challenge you face in executing cash conversion cycles today? Well, I think you know the world we live in is very dynamic currently. I mean, we, we probably all thought the pandemic would finish in a few months, if, if at all a pandemic. And, you know, we've seen different pace of growth and shrinkage around the world, depending on where uh, countries are in terms of rolling out vaccines and the actual case numbers um, and deaths. So, you know, for us, we've got a global operation. We're in a lot of emerging markets. We're in all the large development markets as well. And the challenge really is exiting cash out of countries where there's a challenge to withdraw that cash. Visibility and having clarity on what your payables needs to be and what your receivables is going to be. So it's really a case of, um, you know, how do we get the receivable situation as accurate as we can so that we can then control and, and manage what we spend on the payable side? If you only have one eye open, you know what your payables are and you don't know what your receivables are going to be, then typically you have to go back to um, corporate treasury for, for more liquidity. And, and as you mentioned earlier, that obviously comes with a, to a certain cost. So having that, you know, full eye view, if you like, on the payables on one side, the receivables on the other just gives you that visibility. And that's, you know, something that we've been striving for even more than, than ever in the last uh, 18 months. Yeah, speaking of 18 months, Albert, you've probably seen uh, how organizations such as International SOS have been adopting or trying to adapt to the changes in the business environment that we, in, we are in. Can you share with us what does collection mean in the current environment that we are in today? 
to simply put collection basically is actually just a one small part of the cash conversion cycle and uh, it's all about the, having the right strategy to work with the right customer the individual customer via the right media and information at the right time with the right message so it's a long statement but basically uh, what it means is actually you, uh, you cannot have one collection strategy for all customers that was say there are many markets for example for the uh, for international sos culturally language and uh, the practices in the market is actually different so you need to actually tailor make the uh, strategy of the collection even though you may have an official one then you can actually work with each customer to be effective in the uh, collecting the, the payment from each of them to each of the customer based on the situation and the needs thanks albert now ross taking the cue from albert's definition of what collection means how would the collection management tool help speed up your process in terms of getting paid well, obviously, there's many different collection management tools out there, but if I kind of use escrow collect, as we call it, um, in, in terms of the, what it's done for us as an organization, it's really uh, several things. One, visibility. You know, we've got everything in one place now. We see all the invoices we've issued to our clients. So if they need copies, it's, it's there for the collectors just to resend uh, on email automatically. It brings in all the queries from the clients, so we don't have separate mailboxes. Everything's coming into that one portal. We can see exactly who's querying what. We can manage disputes in one location. So again, when you're looking at, you know, one of the big measures in accounts receivables is collection percentages. That's all well and good, but it ignores one factor. What's the collectible? to start with. And if you can't see your disputes, you assume that 100% of your AR is collectible. You can obviously then reduce for invoices that are not yet due, but you assume that everything that's overdue is collectible. If there's a dispute on that invoice, clearly it's not collectible. So it gives you that extra sort of level of detail to be able to ignore what's currently under dispute. Managing the disputes in the one system means that the collector can see when that dispute's been, been actioned and closed. You know, it could be something as simple as asking for a copy invoice. It could be someone querying a specific charge. But if the collector knows that that dispute's closed, you can get back to trying to get that collected. So having everything in one place, really, really important. The other thing then from a management perspective is really being able to track performance and both inputs and outputs. If you're doing, if you manage 100 clients or 1,000 clients, ultimately some clients need touched. So to Albert's point in terms of different collection strategies, some you can make completely digital. So that might just be sending a reminder, sending a statement uh, once a month, and you know they will happily pay you know month after month after month. Others, you need to be much more proactive. So that could be sending an automated email a few days after you've issued the invoice just to prompt for them to come back to you if you've got any issues. And then the other portion is obviously the one, the ones that you're in regular contact with, whether that's a video conference, a telephone call, or just a, a regular email. So having all that in one place and seeing what strategies you've got for each and seeing how the, the collectors are managing their portfolio just gives the management a bit more clarity. You know, there is a certain art to collections. It's not an exact science. And having that visibility to see how collectors are performing just gives the management a little bit more clarity and surety on that element of working capital cycle. As the term automation becomes more mature in any particular market, many people or organizations today still believe in the traditional way of processing invoice payments. I need to see the paper. What are your thoughts, Ross, on finding trust with the use of technology? Look, I, 
in the developed world, you know, automation is, you know, second nature, whether it's, you know, 100% automation or semi-automated. I think it's come second nature, but there are still markets where, you know, a handshake or a visible meeting is still critical to getting paid or at least assists getting paid. So I think if you look at, you know, collection management techniques the world over, they're, they're different in different markets. So I think you've touched on that at the start and I think Albert picked up on that in terms of having different strategies for different markets. So yes, I believe technology can help us. You know, we're talk we've been talking blockchain for probably five years. I still think from a collection <laughs> management perspective, it might be another five years before it becomes mainstream. You never know, it might be quicker than that. But I think in terms of digital processing and automation around cash application and, you know, kind of dunning letter statements, etc. I think people are more confident in the technology when they see it in operation. You know, people have certainly got a certain amount of scepticism. And when you say I'm going to send out automated dunning letters or I'm going to send out, you know, I'm going to aut automatically allocate the cash as it comes in. But the reality is technology is there. It's been there for a while. And it can certainly make the AR department's job significantly easier and let them focus on the more complex cases, those clients that need more handholding, as it were, and take away kind of the simple, mundane, and even in certain cases, complex cases, but the ones that are more routine and allow the time to be spent on those tasks that, you know, need more human power, if you like. Now, Albert, to Ross's point about the int introducing automation in the process of cash collection, how do you find the adoption of automation as part of the collection management process? I think that's definitely the most uh, so-called in-demand uh, kind of like a solution because recently we've done a bit of uh, market survey and as well as uh, webinars, and we find that the responses uh, from this uh, event especially when you touch on the cash collection, it's very uh, active, I would say that. There's a lot of inquiries coming in, but it's really no surprise because again, the situation, the pandemic, you know, and uh, uh, cash actually is actually a problem there, right? I think uh, recently there's a survey done by Deloitte. They say that uh, around 50% of the companies, uh, they are having issue of servicing their debts. Because in the past that the companies are all, you know, automating and transactions are going faster and faster. And of course the volume, instead of buying big bulk, uh, because of the speed of digital automation, the so-called the buying cycle is more frequent, but the order is actually smaller. But uh, that actually adds on to the problem of uh, all the uh, collection issues, as well as the, uh, of course, getting uh, to work with the customers to identify which uh, invoice uh, is due, which invoice uh, can be resolved, and which invoice can be paid. It's actually a big challenge in the market currently. Now, Ross, if I get back, we've started talking about cash collection cycles, but there's one other area within the overall cash management practice of an organization that's allocating. You've got the money, now it's time to allocate it. Now, allocating can be paying up some of your debts uh, or putting investments into you know, R&D or, or improving uh, other areas of the organization. For international SOS, can you share some of the practices that you're doing within the area of cash allocation? To be honest, if you talk about cash allocation from a client receipt perspective, we're very manual at the moment, and that's why we're we're very excited to be partnering with ESCA um, as we roll out their ESCA cash solution. I think cash application itself is a massive challenge for many organisations for for two reasons. One, you're heavily reliant on the bank. You know the information that comes on your bank statement 
on the assumption that these days more and most companies are getting the majority of the receipts um, you know electronically depending on what the information the bank gives you gives you sometimes little or no indication who the money's from um, and that's obviously a, ch a challenge the second part is what do the clients give you how many clients actually send your remittance advice do they actually bother and then when it becomes really um, a well-managed process is really when the, the, the team or the person doing the cash application is working hand-in-hand hand with the collector. Sometimes it can be the same person, but if it's not, there's a need to have a close collaboration so that a collector who's been in contact with a client knows what money is going to get paid by the, the client, which invoices are going to pay and which, which ones they're not. So when a money is received, you may only know that it's you know $12,068. You have no idea who the client is because the information in the bank statement is you know, doesn't tie back to any of your clients. And you know first of all, you've got to check, was I expecting $12,068? Secondly, which invoices do they relate to? And what's good about ESCO solution really is it, it's, it, it learns what you do. So you can teach it that the next time that transaction comes in from XXX12345, you know, it relates to a specific client. And you don't have the situation where next time it comes in with the same reference number, you're scrambling around again trying to work out who the client. That's very important. So, you know, being able to, being able to find a product that actually has the capability to, to kind of learn what you've done manually when you've had to do it manually means that next time it can suggest a match that previously you would have had to do a lot of manual effort to investigate. So having the help of technology working closely with the banks and the clients and the, the, the cash application team and the collection team means that you can massively streamline that process. That's clearly critical. You know that you want to allocate the cash as quickly as possible. You certainly don't want to upset clients and ask them for money they've already paid. Then you have credibility issues and you also have the, you know, the, the cheeky clients who might decide, well, they are departments in a mess. I'll wait until they figure out that I haven't paid and then I'll wait. Then I'll... Collection, when I mentioned at the start, it's an art. It is an art. It's not a science. And the reason it's an art is because what you need to do is really to educate your clients. And if you can educate your clients successfully you have to touch less of them you have to contact less and you have to chase less and that's what i'm saying it's an art because you know you have to understand the client their payment cycles at which point you need to contact them which point you need to leave them alone and once you have all that information then it can become a well-oiled machine uh, the collections process and when you don't when you're literally picking up the phone with no information when their payments are due when their payment cycles are what their payment cycle timeline is in terms of when they approve the payments how long it takes to get to you um, it becomes very very manual and, and almost like everyone's walking around with no real belief that they're going to get collection um, it's just a you know a little bit of a finger in the air and hope. That's what I'm saying. It really is an art, and it's something that you know takes years of practice. Well, I love the fact that you mentioned that Esker uh, software is actually able to learn from the previous transactions, so that you don't have to repeat the same process, manual process, all over again. Now, Albert, is this technology something recent to Esker's offering in terms of the technology? No, we have been doing this for quite a while, but it's just that uh, unlike uh, other solution company, we don't sell it as 
uh, so-called like a holy grail. We don't say that this technology will solve all your uh, problem, but instead we actually built in seamlessly to make it seamlessly and uh, so-called integrated into the business process. It's the end users in front of the screen, and we are learning from the end user. Uh, for example, for customer, I think was uh, rightly pointed out, different customers have different behavior. So we are learning the behavior of customer when it comes to payment of the invoices. Are they paying the smaller amount first? Some customers may pay the big invoice first. Some may always pay in percentages. So now, this kind of pattern, usually in the past, you need to have very experienced uh, AR person who knows the customer uh, for years. And this information or this knowledge is locked in his or her head. Uh, what we do is actually we only uh, having the tool to enable to facilitate to learn this knowledge from the so-called expert and try to help the expert to actually make the so-called the allocation or so-called the collection strategy accordingly. Now this is actually the, uh, what we call the machine learning technology, but we also uh, infuse that with uh, synergistic uh, so-called uh, knowledge. For example, uh, since it's a cloud platform, the customer they're dealing with usually they are also dealing with other suppliers. And what do we learn from that? And for example, the formatting of the repeatance advice or the bank, the so-called the so-called format, as well as the customer invoice format. All these things we actually learn from other so-called uh, instances of experience with this particular company. And then we actually we use them to help uh, any customers that are actually using our solution. Now, Ross, I come back to you. I mean, for the last few years now, we've been hearing finance leaders talk about the digitization or the digital transformation of finance. In terms of your perspective, what are your long-term goals for finance digitalization at, at International SOS? Wow, I've got a long list, so I'll probably try and sh shorten it to two. I think the first thing is from a transactional processing perspective, we want to make that as frictionless as possible and as automated as possible. I think that's, you know, we've been using ESCO when we started the pandemic, we had, you know, 85% paper invoices and now we're 95% ele electronic invoices coming from our, uh, the hospitals that we work with. So we had to literally swap that overnight. It was a massive change. So having been able to digitize and then digitalize a process is really critical to take, to take making the process as frictionless as possible. And we're well on the way to do that, but it, you know our organisation is is very varied and global, so it takes a little bit of time really to to, to roll that out. Frictionless uh, transaction processing is one. The second part I would say is, is I would break into two. So it's uh, better visibility on our cash management cycle um, that we've talked about at the start. And the second part really is for me is on our FP&A side. We want to be much more forward focused. Many FP&A departments around the world, functions around the world, they've got a very shiny mirror, but it's looking that way. And they can give you dozens and dozens and dozens of beautiful charts looking that way. But that doesn't add value to the business as much as having a forward view with you know, beautiful charts and, and expectations. So I, I think that's really the next focus for us really is, is, is trying to get a better uh, forward view a smaller rear view mirror um, and making the processes as frictionless as possible. As you rightly say, a lot of operations these days, we tend to focus more on the what happened in the past, thinking that would help us project. But a lot of analysts I've spoken to saying that COVID changed the entire process. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work that way anymore. There's no point looking at, you know, what your site, your, you know, your cash flow was 12 months ago thinking that that's what's going to look like in 12 months time. You know, the world has changed, mm. turned on its head. Industries have closed down, new industries have started in the last year. 
So I, I think it's um, you know imperative that we try and utilize technology to help us take that forward view. Now, Albert, to, to Ross's point, what is ESCAR doing to help organizations such as International SOS be better at managing what's in front of them as opposed to just what keep looking at what's behind them? I think before I answer the question, I'd like to just add one more point to uh, Ross, uh, so-called the... Uh what Ross said about this importance of looking forward. Now, one of the critical success factors of the uh, automation project is always not just looking at what the past, like like uh, Ross said, in terms of requirements as well. Now, the reason why uh, we had such a great success with International SOS is also uh, partly because uh, Ross and his team is actually open to actually uh, adopt new ideas, new way of doing things rather than saying that, okay, this is how we do it and you must actually automate the way we do it rather than, okay, they change the process entirely, change the mindset and even change a little bit of the culture, how do we actually want to move forward? And that's a very important factor to do before you start the project. And second, second point is actually automation is not binary, not like an all or nothing approach. But a lot of companies still evaluate so-called automation today, just like the way they evaluate an ERP solution in the past, in the 80s, 90s. Yeah, They just want to make sure that uh, this uh, solution has everything ever that they need and uh, all the bells and misses that come with it and as a best price. And that is no longer uh, valid because like uh, things are moving very fast in technology era. I mean, in, in this era, and uh, of course, the what we need to do is actually look at the 80-20 rules, you know. Actually, what can we invest 20% of our time and resources to get the most uh, benefit? In this case, it could be even 80% of the benefits out of it. So, and after that, then you do the incremental, like what Ross is doing. You know, after the, the key success, they, they actually do the, rip the, the best benefit out of it, like the overnight transformation of the investing process. Then you look for the, the, the rest of the uh, so-called the 20% of what can we do, right, to actually make it even better. So I think that is actually a key blocking factor for companies that wanted to start automation, but yet uh, they have not been able to do so. Now, Ross, to the point of Albert, he mentioned that uh, your team is able to not just take in what the vendor is offering and adopt that, but as opposed to taking your view as well. One word that comes to mind is the ability for people to collaborate together as a key metric for success. What are your thoughts on this? How important is collaboration as a way to guarantee better success? For me, it's critical. You know, I, I, we deal with many, many uh, suppliers across our, our technology landscape, and even in the finance transformation, we've got many different vendors. When we were looking for a new partner, and you know, I think back to when we first had the conversations with Albert's team in Asia, the thing that stood out massively was they listened. They weren't talking to you, they were listening and answering your questions. And, and that's a massive thing for me because. When you go on this journey, Albert mentioned it's not it's not binary. You know, it, it it can look and feel chaotic at times if you're in the middle. You know, you're literally one question after another. You're working on multiple systems. It's really you know, it's a little bit like trying to do a jigsaw at speed, and you've got multiple hands and and they're all moving around, and then suddenly all the jigsaw becomes visible. The final outcome becomes visible, and you're like, wow. So having that partnership is critical. You need to work with. Uh, suppliers that aren't there to sell you licenses. They're not sit there to sell you boxes. They're not there to sell you something and then run away quickly and go into the next supplier, the next mug, if you like. You want to be working with 
suppliers that see it as a proper partnership. And it's been like that from the start, I think, with ESCA, from my perspective. You know, whether it's way back when we were discussing the project right at the start, or even now with one project we just closed Hypercare yesterday, um, and we're still working on another one. And for me, that's absolutely critical. You need to work together, and you need to bounce ideas off each other. You know, we've all got different experiences from our, uh, our past industries, our past roles. There's best practices out there. There's ideas about, you know, what, where the ESCA products go and where they're experienced with their product managers is and you know the consultancy team have got inputs as well and then we've got how we've worked in the past and the challenges there so it's almost like a, a real dynamic environment where we encourage people to identify where we can improve where the processes are challenging where we waste time and, and we look for solutions and you know Esker have got a very unique uh, implementation model I'm not going to share it that that'll be one for for Albert to, to explain to prospective clients but I, the two projects specifically that we've done on Esker collect and Esker cash are great examples of in some ways reverse logic in terms of the way they do the project but actually incredibly powerful because of the way they've done that you know, that's what's impressed me a lot with ESCA is the collaboration and flexibility, but, you know, having a keen eye for doing things differently, which for me is what exactly what I'm, I'm trying to do. You want to leverage the best technology in different ways to give you that, you know, that uh, business benefit. Albert, to Ross's point, collaboration is something that personally I hear a lot mentioned in pitches, but I don't normally see it in actual implementations what are your thoughts on that i mean beyond okay let's not talk about implementation we'll cover that uh in a couple of seconds but just on the, uh, the thought of collaboration with in your case customers such as international sos what's your view on this how critical is collaboration as a metric for success uh to simply put it's actually it's only deciding factor that to make the projects a success or a failure our culture in ESCO is very different. We always look at uh, the software, even though we actually develop the software, we are part of it, it's actually very powerful, but we don't actually uh, looking at it as a hammer and uh, see everything as a nail. So when we approach a customer, we always sit down and try to understand not only just the business the challenges, but the existing uh, solution that they in, uh, so-called invested, where are the data, the kind of customers, and then we tailor make so-called uh, implementation plan to actually best fit the 80-20 rules. I mentioned the 80-20 rules, exactly how can we actually achieve the first success and get 80% return based on only uh, so-called the 20% investment. And because that is actually very important, it's all about customer experience. We emphasize a lot of that. And as a matter of fact, uh, we talk about uh, cash collection today, cash conversion cycle. Uh, if you actually look at this strategically, it's actually a, a tool for any company to improve the customer experience and also the customer uh, so-called satisfaction of how do how do they work with uh, each of each company. So that is actually a, the the basic element is relationship, and we actually use uh, we apply the solution to actually enhance the relationship to all the stakeholders of the ecosystem your suppliers, your customers, your business partners, because they're all in it. And everybody has the same challenges in terms of the pandemic, the working from home. And I would say that uh, very soon, uh, there'll be like also people actually start to work uh, remotely from home, even though the pandemic is over. So there's actually a big change, not only the organization, but everybody in your ecosystem. So again, collaboration, uh, not just uh, between the so-called solution vendor and the, the customer, but also applies to the bigger, bigger scope of things. It's in fact, this should be the reason why we want to actually initiate any automation or project. How can we improve the uh, 
I would say that the relationship be, uh, between the employees, the uh, so-called decision makers, and as well as the uh, the external stakeholders. Now, Ross, oftentimes I hear talks about end-to-end solution these days. This is the, the target for a lot of organizations, especially as they look at the, a digital transformation strategy, for example. In your case, in your experience, what are the benefits of, of embarking on a journey where you have an end-to-end goal to achieve? Well, I, I think, in all honesty, it's the only way to go. If you try and implement silo solutions or silo processes, ultimately, that won't be the optimal solution. Now, how end-to-end something is, is always open for discussion. But of course, it always brings me back to the hire to retire point that you often hear now in the, the buzzwords in HR services. And you're thinking, that's an awful long end-to-end process, hire to retire, because it could be 25, 30 years. And you- so you maybe need to break the process down a little bit. But for me, it's really important to take that kind of holistic view of each process and work out where the end point is. Because there's different, if you take cash conversion as an end-to-end process, that's a massive process, you know, because it covers so many sub-processes. If you look at collections management, again, there's many processes in there. There's a the dispute management, there's collections, there's cash application, there's you know, dunning letters and statements and, and your customer contacts. So you need to look at the end-to-end process and then break it down into sort of manageable chunks. But always forget what the end goal is. And that could be, you know, more cash flow if you're talking about a collection process. It could be a faster process if you're thinking about accounts payable end-to-end. It could be a cheaper process or a more efficient process. So very important you look at end-to-end, but don't look at end-to-end necessarily in the traditional sense of record to report, hire to retire. And look at it and say, what, what are the manageable chunks in the overall process that we can improve to manage that process end-to-end better? Uh, in other words, I, I like to look at the pain points, You know, run a workshop and say, you know, what, what's painful today in this process? Where are all the opportunities? Not necessarily to fix each one, tick one off by, as you go. But then when you're looking at a solution, whether that's a software solution or a process, um, you've got that in mind and say, well, the key pain points are these five things. And I'm going to design a process that makes them you know, either disappear or makes it frictionless. And, and I think that's quite critical. That you're you're looking at fixing solutions and getting additional benefits. I look at things simply as you've probably realized the number of times we've spoken, Alan, but for me, digitization is just automating your whole process. Digitalization is looking at it and reimagining what that process can be. And I think that's the way to look at it. So when you talk about end to end, it's the reimagination of that process for me. Albert, in Ross's interpretation of the reimagining of an end-to-end strategy, what is Esker's secret, can I call it secret sauce, in, in terms of helping organizations such as Ross's team in, at International SOS achieve that vision of an end-to-end solution to solve multiple problems that uh, are all somehow interconnected? Okay, I think I have summarized in three main points here again. First of all, there must be a, a platform that is actually uh, powerful and easy to integrate. I think that's a basic requirement of uh, any any uh, technology platform you want to choose. Uh, of course, I mean, on the other extreme, you can go for very specialized solution, but then if the solution is not flexible enough to adapt, then you run into the same problem. Like Ross said that, you know, what to 
dissect into some processes and want to automate that, once you change something, it become very hard. So for SQL, what we do is actually we make sure that our platform is uh, covering the entire order to cash and pocket to pay cycle because that is essentially the, the holy grail of the uh, cash conversion cycle. And on top of that, we have to make the actually the technology platform below actually flexible and secure. And the third is actually we have to make sure that we have the ability to work with any kind of so-called backend system, ERP system or data repository that they may have been uh, installed in the customer side. Now, these are the three elements that are actually deciding whether the solution is able to support your vision and able to execute in an agile manner and able to give you the uh, 360 degree view of the entire business cycle. Ross, uh, we're coming down to the end of this pod chat. Uh, let me ask you both the same thing, but uh, I'll start with Rossers. What advice would you give to companies uh, and organizations that are currently exploring putting in place an automation solutions such as Eskers? What can they learn from your own experience, uh, leveraging the expertise both you have in-house as well as those from a solution providers such as Eskers? Yeah, I, I could probably name three or four different points to that. I think the first thing is do your research. I think it's absolutely critical. Don't just go on to, you know, the first website or, you know, I won't name the G word and do your research properly. And actually look, first of all, start off with what is it I'm looking to do? What problem am I looking to solve? You know, that, that's the first point from a, any kind of sales or purchase process is what problem am I trying to solve? Do your research in terms of understanding what's out in the market. Don't just go to a specific website and look at their ratings. You know, go speak to vendors, ask them, show me your product, show me the best thing. Let me ask some questions. When you narrow that down to maybe two or three suppliers that you're interested in working with, do something quite formal. You know, I hear so many people talking about they've gone out and purchased X and, you know, they'll say to you, what, what are you using it for? Well, we're still looking at that, but we've got a rough idea. And you're like, that's a horrific thought that people are just going out and spending money to say that they've, they're doing this. So I think it's really important you know what problem you're solving. You've done your research, you know what products are in the market, and you don't just go after the big ones. You know, you actually look at a product, look at the products that are meeting your requirements. You know, it, we don't all need Rolex watches. You know, that's just a fact. We can do with a Casio. It, it tells the, site, the time just as, just as well. And a lot of people will say, well, I've got my phone, I don't need a watch, so even better. But So I think that's really important. And then when you've broken it down to say, okay, I've got vendor A or vendor B, say to both of them, let me go and speak to one of your clients. Organize a one-hour call. You, We don't want you there. We want to speak to your clients and we want to hear what their feedback is. Good suppliers, which who are proud of the relationship with their clients, will roll out you know, names one after the other. If they take weeks to come back to find one client who's prepared to speak to you and wants to know the questions up front, be very, very afraid. So it's, you know, for me, really, really important that you speak to people that are advocates of the product, the solution, the implementation, and openly discuss the warts and all, the things that went well, the things that, that you can learn from. And look at it that way. As I said, don't go after labels. Um, labels fade after a while. Uh, Albert, what about in your case? What can you add to Ross's statement about uh, working with partners such as Esker in terms of developing solutions such as an automation product? I, I couldn't agree more with what Ross said. I think those are all very important points. Uh, perhaps uh, just to add another flavor, a lot of companies want to do automation. They go out to buy technology. Don't do that. You have to focus on your business 
process, how can you optimize it? Like was mentioned, instead of buying the latest or greatest actually mentioned by all the big name analysts, uh, again, if you buy more and more technology at the end, you don't know how to apply it or it doesn't actually solve the problem, you end up with a very uh, difficult situation where you have too complex IT infrastructure. And uh, when you get there, it's very hard for you to undo it. So just won't go after the so-called go and buy technology, but buy experience, buy a partner that's been there for a long time, then actually can have the ability to support you for your ambition. So I think that is what I can add to what was mentioned just now. I just want to say one thing because it's my experience as well is that you know there's many software out there that does a great job and like I said you're buying the label very rarely does that label do the implementation one of the I think the critical success factors for ESCA is they implement their product their product they're very proud of their product and they take great care on each project and uh, you know we, we work with uh, lots of suppliers as I said some of them implement their own products some of them don't for me, the ones that do just take that little bit more care than the ones that are basically selling you boxes or selling you licenses and giving you an implementation partner. It doesn't mean that they're all the same, but I said I think there's just that little one, two percent that makes a difference um, because Albert and the team are implementing their product and one that they're very proud of. Ross, Albert, thank you very much for joining me on Podchats for Future CFO. Thanks, Alan. Thanks, Albert. Thanks, Alan. Thanks, Ross. That was Mr. Ross McKay, Group Head of Global Shared Services and Finance Optimization for International SOS, and Mr. Albert Long, Managing Director of SK Asia, sharing with us their experiences on a smarter way of collecting and allocating cash. You are listening into Podchats for Future CFO. As always, if you have a topic you'd like us to cover on this channel, simply email us at editors at society.com. We'd also like to invite you to sign up for a free weekly newsletter so you won't miss an episode of Podchats for Future CFO. In the meantime, stay safe, have a great day, and see you on the next episode of Podchats for Future CFO. Bye for now.